Amen. I want you to turn with me this morning. Once again, we have been in a series of studies, and I don't feel like it's all out of my spirit just yet. And so we're going to go back and, and pick this up once again. If you would turn with me to the book of Numbers, and we're going to read uh, three verses from Numbers, and then we're going to the book of Judges. So we'll begin in Numbers chapter 2. Numbers chapter 2, we'll read a verse, then we'll skip over to chapter 7, read a verse, chapter 10, read a verse, and then Judges 20, and we'll read one verse there as well. Praise God. Numbers chapter 2 and verse 9. All that were numbered in the camp of Judah were an hundred thousand and fourscore thousand and six thousand and four hundred throughout their armies. These shall set shall first set forth. These, that is the tribe of Judah, shall first set forth. Then Numbers chapter seven, verse twelve. Numbers seven and verse twelve. And he that offered his offering the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadab, of the tribe of Judah. He that offered the first day was of the tribe of Judah. Numbers chapter 10 and verse 14. Numbers 10 verse 14. In the first place, went the standard or the flag of the camp of the children of Judah according to their armies over against or over his host was Nashon the son of Amminadab. In the first place went the flag of Judah in the first place. And then Judges chapter 20 and verse 18. Judges 20 verse 18. And the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Judah shall go up first. And so, as you've seen, there's a common thread in each of these four verses that can be simply summarized by saying, Judah first. Judah first. And this is part three of this series. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices. Let's talk to the Lord together, everyone, right now. Let's ask him to help us today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, help us, God. Lord God, I ask you, Master, Lord, that you would do a work in this place, that the will of the Holy Ghost be accomplished. Praise God. Lord, we've got to have your help. 
We've got to have your help today. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everybody, praise the Lord for just a moment before you're seated. Would you do that? That's what we're talking about. That's what we're teaching about right now. I think we ought to put it into practice. I think we ought to praise the Lord a little bit. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. And once again, they've been so kind to bring this chair to kind of help me. I am getting my strength back after the surgery, but having some back issues, and this helps a little bit. And uh, I won't stay here long, but it'll, it'll give me a little bit of time, praise God, to get off of my feet and uh, give my back a little bit of a rest. Now, for those who have not been a part of this series or have missed, uh, missed one or more of the lessons, let me do just a brief review here. I'm going to try to make it brief. Uh, I pointed out, uh, even in the reading of my text this morning, the fact that it seems Judah received a preferential place uh, when God got ready to do something with the people of Israel. Whether it was that they were going to war or they were bringing offerings into the tabernacle or they were simply moving out of the camp uh, to move to another place as they journeyed in the wilderness. It seemed as though God had given this ordinance that when you get ready to move, I don't want anybody to move until Judah goes first. It was a distinct honor to lead the procession of this host of Israelites. It was a very great thing that God bestowed upon this tribe. And there is, I believe, a distinct reason why God did what he did and said what he said. Amen. We've talked about in our previous lessons the fact that Judah himself was not that great of a character. He was not that noble. He, he had some problems in his own life. Uh, he raised his children wrong and uh, other things that Judah was involved in. And yet God reached down and bestowed this honor on Judah, which really didn't belong to him uh, by the custom of the day. The firstborn should have gotten uh, this honor, but God didn't give it to Dan. God did not give it to the firstborn. Uh, in fact, God went all the way down the line to the fourth of the sons that was born and bestowed this privilege upon Judah. As I pointed out to you in our previous lessons, I believe the reason why has everything to do with his birth and not with his life itself. For you see, Leah was his mother. Leah was one of the two wives that Jacob had. We've talked about that, and I don't want to get too sidetracked in all of that again. But, uh, but uh, this was one of his two wives, and Jacob didn't want Leah. He wanted Rachel, and yet Leah was given to him. And uh, God saw that Leah was hated and opened her womb and caused her to begin to bear sons. And with the birth of each son, Leah would name that baby boy uh, based upon her reflection of what she thought 
would be the reaction of her husband. She was focused entirely upon her husband's reaction and her hope and her desire that her husband would begin to love her. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't come as these babies were born. And so finally, the fourth son was born. And Leah, it seems, just said, forget my husband. Forget uh, what he thinks and what uh, trying to please him. I now recognize that I've had four sons because God has blessed me. And so I'm not going to name this fourth one based on my husband's reaction. I'm going to base uh, the name of this son on the way I feel right now. And she named him Judah which means praise she said I will now praise the Lord amen forget about Jacob whatever Jacob thinks he thinks whatever he's doing he's doing but God has been good to me and God deserves my praise and so she named this fourth son praise and I believe that the reason why God gave this order. You understand that the Bible tells us in the New Testament that everything that happened in the Old Testament was written for our sakes upon whom the ends of the world are come. They were done for our examples. There are those who want to just throw away the Old Testament. It doesn't mean anything. No, my friend, it means everything. The Old Testament teaches us everything about redemption. It teaches us everything about the nature of God. Beginning with the fact that here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Well, hallelujah. Amen. We got to have the Old Testament to learn these principles. And we need to understand, and I'll, I'll deal more with this in a moment, but understand on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were added to the church. But do you understand all 3,000 of those were Jews? All 3,000 were Jews. They were all people who revered the Old Testament. Do you understand that when the Bible later says 5,000 were added, all 5,000 of those were Jews. It was many years before God added any non-Jews to the church. And so for years in the founding of the church, it was founded on people whose only Bible was the Old Testament. Whatever they preached, they preached from the Old Testament. Whatever they believed, they believed because of the Old Testament. So don't tell me we have to throw the Old Testament away. I submit to you, if we can't prove what we believe in the Old Testament, we probably ought to rethink what we believe. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get too sidetracked here. But here we go. Praise God. I'm going to tell you. I can. I can preach to you repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost from the Old Testament. I can. I can start. I can start in the book of Genesis and preach the plan of salvation from Genesis chapter one. Well, Hallelujah. Amen, because the Bible says God took a world that was without form and void. That's a dead world. And the Bible says that the spirit moved on the water. I got three things going on here. There was death, there was water, there was spirit. And it's when those three things came together, that's when new life began to spring forth. 
I can take you to the book of Exodus. And they're wandering in the wilderness. And God said, set up a tabernacle. And when they set up the tabernacle, the place of meeting where God was going to meet with man, God said, now, wait a minute. We got an order we got to go through here. There's one piece of furniture that before you go any farther, before you get too close to this tabernacle, there's one piece you got to stop by, and that's the altar. You got to go there and something's got to die. Blood's got to be shed. I'm not going to accept you if you don't stop by the altar. But then he said, you tell those priests they're not to go a step further beyond the altar until they stop by that laver and they wash. He said, you tell them this, wash with water that you die not. They had to go to the altar. Then they had to go to the water. And then they could go in the place where the spirit dwelt. Uh, help me, Jesus. This is not a review of the other, but anyhow... Here we are, praise God, amen, amen, amen. And so the children of Israel wandered for 40 years and, and finally all that generation died off except Joshua and Caleb. And so they're ready, they're looking over at the promised land. I've stood on the banks of the Jordan River. It's not that wide. It's very easy to see across the Jordan to the other side. I haven't stood on that side of the Jordan where they were, but I stood on the other side and looked over to where they came from. And uh, I'm telling you, it's not that wide of a river. And you can easily see the other side. In fact, uh, it was a little nerve-wracking looking at the other side where we were the first time we went because we've got Israeli soldiers standing over here with an Uzi and, and, and we've got a Jordanian soldier on the other side with an Uzi and they are staring each other down, just waiting on somebody to make a wrong move. And we're right in the middle of all this. And I'm saying, I hope these guys keep peace while we're here at least. If they're going to get mad at one another, let us leave first. But I'm going to tell you, they stood there on the banks of the Jordan, and they're looking across. And God said, now, before I send you over, there's something you got to do. These 40 years you wandered in the wilderness, you did not keep the covenant that I made. You're supposed to be circumcised before you go across. So they had to shed some blood on their side of the Jordan. And then the only way they're going to get across the get across to Canaan, they got to go through the water. And when they go through the water, they get to the land of promise. Are you following me? There was bloodshed. Then there's water. Then there's promise. Well, hallelujah. Amen. In fact, I, I missed one. Let me back up a little bit to the book of Exodus. When the children of Israel, before they ever got to the wilderness to build a tabernacle, they're in the land of Egypt and God's going to set them free from Egyptian bondage. And you know what he did? The last thing that he did, he said, I'm sending the death angel into the camp, but you can be free from it if you'll take a lamb and kill that lamb and apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost of your house. Now, everybody that's got the blood applied to the doorpost, I'm going to let them live. So they had to kill a lamb. There had to be bloodshed. And then God said, now you go this way. And God led them. He could have led them a lot of different ways from Egypt up into the land of promise. But he didn't do it. You know what he did? He led them right straight to the Red Sea. He said, we're not going any farther till we cross through some water. You're going to have to go through the water before you get out of bondage. And when they crossed across the Red Sea, here comes Pharaoh and his army. All those things that kept them bound. All those things that kept them down. Everything that came against them got into the middle of the Red Sea. And God let the water wash it away. And he said, you'll never see it again. Just like our sins. When we go into the water of baptism in Jesus' name. We leave them there never to see them again. Oh. 
when they got across that Red Sea. Now they're free from bondage. There's freedom there. Praise God. I'm telling you, throughout the Old Testament, I can preach. You've got to have repentance. There's got to be a dying of the old man. You've got to have baptism in water by the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ. And you've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost, which liberates you from sin, amen, and sets you free. It is the promise of the Father. Amen. I can take you to the book of Genesis and show you when Abraham got ready to find a bride for his son, he told Eliezer, he said, he said, you go down there and you, you find somebody of my family. And Eliezer put a little fleece before the Lord, not really a fleece, but you know, he, he told God, he said, this is what I want. Uh, this is what I'm looking for. The test of whether or not she's going to be the bride for that promised son is what she does when she gets to the well. You want to be a part of the bride, you got to pass that water test. And then we find in the book of Judges a man by the name of Gideon and his army. And God said, if anybody's afraid, let them go home. And most of them went home, and God said, that's still too many. I got one more test for them. Here's what we're going to do. To decide the army of God, I want you to take them down to the water and they got to pass the water test to get into my army I'm going to tell you saints of God we can't throw away the old testament everything we know everything we believe everything we love is rooted and grounded in old testament scriptures all right that was a that was a wild sidetrack there but I don't apologize hallelujah Amen. So everything in the Old Testament was done for our sakes. And, uh, and I believe that's the reason why God bestowed this honor on the tribe of Judah. God was making a statement. Before you do anything else, let Judah go first. Let praise be your approach. Don't just come running to God with your hand out, give me, give me, give me. Don't just come running to God with your list as though God is Santa Claus. Here's all the things I want. Here's all the things I, I expect. Here are all the things I demand. No, no, no. Why don't you let Judah go first? Why don't you send up praise before you start asking for your petitions? Hey, you want to fight the devil? You want to see the devil flee? Somebody said, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Yeah, that's part of the verse, but there's something else that goes before that. You gotta take the whole verse. The Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. This whole thing of submitting to God, I'm gonna tell you, if you're gonna submit to God, you're gonna start out with Judah first. You're gonna give God praise. You wanna defeat the devil? Start with praise. Start giving God thanks. Listen to me, saints of God. When you're down and out, the way to combat that is through praise. When you're depressed, the way to fix it is through praise. When you're discouraged, the way to fix it is through praise. Too many of us, too many of us want to praise when we feel good. We want to praise after God has done things for us. And again, we look to the Old Testament and we find the children of Israel marching around the walls of Jericho. And God said, for six days, I want you to march one time and I don't want you to say a word. 
or I like to put it this way, just shut up and keep marching. Now, there's a reason why God said that. Because for 40 years, all they did was complain. And he knew what they would do if they opened their mouths and they had to march. That first day they're marching and nothing happens, they're going to start complaining. So God said, just shut up and march. Don't say a word. So the second day, shut up and march. The third day, shut up and march. The fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, shut up and march. The seventh day, God said, now we're going to do something a little different now. Six times I want you to go around this city in one day, and all six of those times you shut up and march. But on the seventh time, we're going to do something different. On the seventh time, I want you to shout. And why? Why are we supposed to shout, God? He said, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now, I'm telling you, they finished that seven time. Before they started shouting, not one brick had come down. Not one crack in that wall. They hadn't seen one thing change. But God said, you don't wait until you see it change to start praising me. You praise me because you believe it's going to change. I'm preaching to somebody right now. You don't wait until after the fact to give God thanks for it. You start thanking him because you believe with all your heart. He's a faithful God. He's a good God. And he's going to take care of it. So I'm going to shout now. And as they shouted, the walls came tumbling down. Well, praise God. Amen. And I'm telling you, some of you, the walls that you're facing, the barriers, the things that you're trying to overcome, the obstacles in your life, you really ought to try sending up Judah first. Don't wait until those walls come down to praise. Don't wait, the song says, till the battle is over. Don't wait till the victory is won. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to you right now. Just remember, whatever he promised. Yeah. It's true. He's already done it. I'm telling you, don't wait. Don't wait. Shout now. Send up Judah now. Give God praise now. Now listen to me, listen to me. I've seen hundreds if not thousands of people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You have to repent. The Bible says you have to repent. You have to repent. And I'm going to tell you, once repentance is done, you've got to be careful not to be stuck in repentance. Because, Brother Goff, I don't know of any time I've ever seen anybody get the Holy Ghost that it didn't come while they were praising God. They have to repent. There need to be tears of sorrow. But at some point, you've got to get beyond that repentance and send up Judah. You're going to have to give God some praise. And it's while you're praising God that the Holy Ghost starts coming. Because he inhabits the praise of his people. 
That's scripture. We've gone through that. This, this is review, but we, we talked about all that. He, he dwells in our praise. And so we create a habitation uh, in which he can dwell when we begin to praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So you, you want the Holy Ghost? If you've repented of your sins and you can't seem to get it, I'm going to tell you what to do. It's not that God doesn't want you to have it, and that's what the devil tells people. Oh, well, it's not for you. It's not for you. It's, not, it's for everybody else, not for you. No, no, no. The Bible says, in fact, this is not in my notes, but give me Acts chapter 2 and verses 38 and 39, and let me just put that old lie of the devil forever to rest. All right, Acts chapter, I could quote it, I know, but I like for you to see that it really is in the Bible. And so Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive. And ye, and ye, shall. And ye, shall. And ye, shall. Shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. All right, next. For the promise. For the promise. What promise? What promise? The promise that ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you. And to your children. And to your children. And to all that are far off. all. Do we understand what all means? To all. I want you to point at yourself and say, that means me. That means me. Now do it again. That means me. Because I'm trying to get some of you to convince yourself. You can have it too. There's nobody too bad or too far gone that God can't reach you. His arm is not short. I don't care how far into the depths of sin you've gone. I don't care how hopeless you feel. I'm here to tell you today, it's for all that are afar off. You can have it today. And if you want it, you make sure you've repented of your sins. And then you ask him in faith and you start praising him. And in your praise, I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost will come. And when it comes, get for me John chapter 3 verse 8. This is not in my notes either, but you thought you were going to have it easy when you looked at my list today, didn't you? You should have known better. John chapter 3 verse 8, read. The wind bloweth where wind. it listeth. The wind blows where it lists. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's back up a little bit. I want you to go up to verse 5. Read John chapter 3, verse 5. Sister Jasmine, thank you for just kind of rolling with the punches here today. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered. Jesus answered. Verily, 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 I say unto thee, thee, except except a man be born born of water water and of the Spirit. Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So this was his answer when Nicodemus asked, what do you mean by born again? This is the way Jesus answered it. Jesus didn't say being born again is accepting Christ. Jesus did not say being born again is believing on the Lord. Jesus said being born again is being born of water and born of the Spirit. You're born of water when you're baptized in Jesus' name. You're born of the Spirit when you receive the Holy Ghost. Now that's the topic. All right? Then in verse 6 he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7 he says, marvel not. Are you going to read or am I? (laughs) Marvel not. Marvel not that that I I say say unto thee, ye must be born again. Ye what? Must be born again. Must. You what? Must. Jesus said that, not me. You must do what I just said. 
I said you got to be born of water and spirit. And I'm telling you again, you must. Now, the subject is being born of water and spirit. So then what's the next thing he says in verse 8? The wind bloweth where it listeth. Now, he hasn't changed subjects. He's still talking about this birth. And he said the wind blows wherever it wants to. And thou hearest the sound thereof. You hear the sound of the wind. But canst not tell whence it cometh. But you don't know where the wind comes from. And whither it goeth. You don't know where the wind is going. So is everyone. So is. So is. Every. There's no exception. There's no exception. So is everyone. That is born of the Spirit. That is born of the Spirit. Now he's going to clarify this being born of the Spirit a little bit. Amen. He's talked about being born of water and spirit. Now he's going to clarify this being born of the spirit. And he says, look, being born of the spirit is a lot like the wind. He said, there's a lot about the wind you don't know. You don't know where the wind comes from. You don't know where it's going to. But there's one consistent thing about the wind. If the wind is blowing, you always hear the sound. Interestingly, the Greek word here for sound is phone. Not phony. Phone. And phone is the word from which we get our words like telephone. Or one of those antique things called a phonograph. Right? And so phone, this this Greek word, phone, actually means voice or language. Jesus said there's a lot about the wind you don't know, but you'll always hear the language of the wind. You'll always hear the voice of the wind. And then he said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Everybody that's born of the Spirit, you're going to hear the language when it happens. You're going to hear the language when it takes place. You're going to hear the voice of the Spirit speaking through everybody that's born of the Spirit. Now, what is that voice? What is it? Go to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 4. And when they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues. What happened? It went out on me. And so read it again. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to and speak, began to with, speak other tongues, with other tongues as the, as the Spirit, Spirit gave, them, gave utterance. them utterance. So here is the sound. Here is the voice. Everybody that receives the Holy Ghost, there's going to be a language that comes out of your mouth. It's not a language you learn. I can't teach you the language. Listen to me. If you go to a church and they say, repeat after me. La, 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 ma, ma, ma. Okay, you spoke in tongues. No, you didn't. The Spirit has to give you utterance. And that word utterance means ability. If I'm teaching you to do it, then I'm giving you the ability. But that's not the Spirit. The Spirit has to give you this ability. You don't know the language. You don't understand the language. But all of a sudden, there are words coming out of your mouth. You're not the one generating them. God is generating them. Well, hallelujah. How did I get on that? I don't know. But I don't apologize. No, sir. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. Everybody can have this wonderful experience. And everybody should have this wonderful experience. And in fact, if you haven't had this wonderful experience, you've not been born again. 
You have not been born again until it happens. Praise God. Amen. Now, I got way ahead of myself because I just realized I did have Acts 2.38 in my notes, but it was down towards the end. And uh, so, there we are. Praise God. We may have to have part four of this too. I don't know. We're not making a lot of progress here today, but again, I don't apologize. Amen. God wants us to send up Judah first. He wants praise to go first. I've pointed out how the book of Psalms instructs us to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We come in, we come before him this way. I also pointed out how that Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, was born of the tribe of Judah. What an honor. A greater honor than just going first. The honor of having the Messiah born through your lineage. And God granted that to the tribe called praise. Praise brings the Messiah. Praise brings the deliverer. Praise God. Now, in our last lesson, we took some time. This is Bible class after all. I sometimes forget that and start preaching. But um, we took time in our last class uh, to to go through the right way to praise. Talking about John 4 and 24, that they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Must. And again, when Jesus says must, there are no exceptions to this. I don't care how good we think somebody is or how great even we think some group is. If Jesus said must, it's must for them as well. He doesn't write out individual exceptions. He doesn't grant special dispensations. Hallelujah. It doesn't work that way. Now, we all must worship in spirit and in truth. And then we took some time to to show you why we as apostolics praise God the way we do. And we broke this down from the scripture. We talked about why we pray together out loud rather than one person praying and everyone listening. Uh, we, we gave you scriptural reasons for why we lift our hands in praise to God. We gave you scriptural reasons for why we run the aisles and roll in the floor. We gave you scriptural reasons for why we sing so loudly with all of our hearts. Gave you scriptural reasons why we play musical instruments. Gave you scriptural reasons why we cry, why we uh, why we moan and mourn. We gave you scriptural reasons why we clap and why we shout unto God. We gave you scriptural reasons why we dance and why we leap for joy. All of it's in the Bible. It's there. And and if you didn't hear that lesson, be sure that you uh, go to our website and find part two. We covered all that in part two. So here I am uh, way into today's time and just now ready to start part three. Praise God. But uh, find all that in part two and, and you'll see where we gave you biblical reasons. We call this the truth church for a reason because we try to base everything on the truth. Not my truth, your truth, the truth. And Jesus defined the truth in John 17, 17. Why don't we just, we're throwing all kinds of other scriptures there. You might as well just yeah, keep, keep your Bible handy and, 
And uh, who knows where we'll go. But John 17, 17, and again, you know, I, I can quote these things, but I like you to see that it's in the Bible. I like you to know I'm not just making stuff up. So John 17, 17, Jesus said this. Sanctify them through thy truth. Through thy truth. Thy word thy is truth. Thy word is truth. So when we say we are the truth church, you know what we're saying? We're just saying we are the word church. Because God's word is truth. And what you're going to find here, the Bible says, as much as I love the name of Jesus, we do love the name of Jesus around here, right? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Right? Acts 4 and 12. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess. Amen. We, we know that that name is above every name. There's no name like the name of Jesus, right? 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 No name like the name of Jesus. But the Bible says, Thou hast magnified thy word even above all thy name. There's nothing higher than the word. In fact, Jesus is the name of the word. John 1 and 1. Just so we give you proof here. John 1 verse 1. I'm going to prove to you Jesus is the name of the word. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was, was the, word, the word, and the word, and the word was, was, with, was God, with God, and, and the, the word, word was, God. was God. And verse 14 says, and we beheld, and the, the word was made, made flesh. flesh. I'm about to get ahead of myself. And, and the word was made flesh us. and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. The That's glory verse 14. The glory of the only begotten 14. of the Father. Amen. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, grace and, truth. and truth. So the word was made flesh. That's Jesus Christ. The name of the word is Jesus. Hallelujah. So, everything we do is going to be based upon the word of God. Not based on my ideas, my philosophies, or some denomination or church creed. It's going to be based on what the scripture says. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, having said all of that. We, we did go through the scriptural reasons why we do these things. And, uh, and there are scriptural reasons for all of it. Now, I want to go in. I want to take a little time today. And this is where the teaching part, I guess, will come in. Uh, I say I guess because who knows. I thought I was going to be teaching through the review. But um, we, we, will, we will go into some things here. because I, I want to talk to you about the purpose behind our praise. And then we're going to, if time permits, go a little deeper into this word praise. And I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm finally back to my notes, my list of scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want you to read verses 9 and 10. Familiar verses uh, for most apostolics. But I, I want you to hear this. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. All right, I, uh, this, and, and just leave this up here, if you would, for just a minute. In fact, we're going to be looking at verse 10 and then looking at verse 9 again uh, momentarily. But, um, you know, in high school and in college, I took some writing classes, and I think most of you know that I've done a good deal of writing. 
uh, through the years. And I've got some books out there, but I've, I've been writing long before those books were ever published um, and, and have had several uh, articles and, and lessons published in various periodicals. But um, one of the things that they instructed us, now it's changed a little bit over the last few years, but when I was in high school especially, they told us that if you really want to write a good article that, that gives people the full story, you need to include the five W's. Anybody ever heard that? You ever heard of the five W's? Now today, they say the seven W's. Okay, they've, they've kind of expanded that. So, so I, I'm going to, I can tell by the look on your faces, many of you don't have any idea what that is. So I'm going to tell you, just hang, hang tight or hang loose or whatever. Just hang in there. How's that? Praise God. Um, that is who, what, where, when, why. That's the five I learned. Who, what, where, when, why. Now they've come along and added by whom and how it went. And they say, if you'll include all seven of those, then you have thoroughly described whatever situation you're trying to describe. Who, what, where, when, why, and then by whom and how it went. That's a thorough description according to professional writers. Now, I want to tell you in the verses we just read, and Sister Jasmine, do you know how to put both verses up there at the same time? If not, Brother Josh, can you run back there and, and help us? I know it can be done. I don't know how. Thank God for technical people. Although I did solve one problem while we were recording a podcast last night. Told them to change a cable. They worked, they worked, they worked for 30 minutes probably at least, trying to fix a problem. And I said, well, you know, didn't you change this one cable? Why don't you change this? They changed it back and things started working. I said, thank you. I mean, you're welcome. I, I, I fixed the problem. I, I'm more technical than I thought. So thank you. That's what I needed. Because we're going to look at these two verses here. I'm going to tell you that in these two verses are all seven W's concerning the people of God and our praise. And I want to show you this. All right, so you stay with me. First of all, in verse 10, in verse 10, it says, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God. Everyone say the people of God. That's who we are. We are the people of God. All right? That's the who. Now, when you want to know how it all came about, how it went, how it came down. They said how it went because they want another W in there, but this is the idea behind it. How did it transpire? How did it take place? Well, that's also in verse 10 because he says, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's how we became the people of God because we obtained mercy from God. Is everybody with me? So who we are is the people of God. How we are is we obtain mercy. Now by whom 
this was done, we see in verses 9 and 10 together because it speaks of him who hath called you. That's by whom. He's the one doing this. And then in verse 10, he's identified as God when it talks about the people of God. So God, the one who called us, is by whom this happened. Is everybody with me? I'm just telling you, this is a thorough, thorough explanation in these two verses. So who we are, the people of God, how we are, we obtain mercy. By whom we are, by God, the one who called us. And then, then we see in verse 9 where we are. Because look at what he said. He said he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's where we are. That's where we were and it's where we are. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God I'm no longer in darkness. Thank God I'm no longer in darkness. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more in darkness. No more in night. Well, hallelujah. And so that's where we are. And then verse 9 gives us a very thorough description of what we are. Who we are is the people of God. What we are, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That's what we are. I hope this is not boring you. But this is, this is important for where I'm about to go. I'm not just saying things. I'm trying to show you something. And then in verses 9 and 10, we find when this took place. As I pointed out, he makes the statement, he said, in time past. And then he also says in verse 9 that he called you. So you want to know when it happened? When we were in darkness, he called us. That's when it happened. He didn't wait until we got into the light and then called us. He called us out of darkness. We were still sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm preaching to somebody. Again, when the devil starts saying, you don't deserve it, you're not worthy of it. Listen, you're the one he died for. He didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. You're the very person he's looking for. When did he make this transformation? When did he turn us into the people of God? When did he give us mercy? When we were still in darkness, that's when. He reached down into that darkness and he pulled us out into his marvelous light. Now what a great and wonderful thing God did in all of this. To take us who were not a people, but now, we're the people of God. We had not obtained mercy, but now we've obtained mercy. We were worthless. We were no good. I said we. All of us. Every one of us. But God looked down and had mercy. And in our darkness called us out and took us 
from not being a people. And he didn't just say you were not a people and now you are a people. But now you are the people of God. And as the people of God, you are not just a people, you're a chosen generation. There's a reason why you're sitting on these pews today. Listen to me. No matter what the devil told you about how worthless you are, there's a reason you're on this pew today, and it's because God chose you. No man can come except the Spirit draw him. You didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to go to church. No, God looked down and he said, I choose you. I pick you. I'm going to pull you out of that world of darkness. I've got a work for you to do. For many of us, when we look at our family tree, there aren't very many branches that are living for God. I know there are some who, you know, almost all their families living for God and they've got a great heritage and thank God for it. But I'm saying for most of us, it's not that way with me. It's not that way for a lot of people sitting on these pews today. And I want you to think about something. You, you, out of all of your family members, God chose you. Now, we want to pray and believe that God will save the rest of our family, and we should do that. But I'm just telling you, there's a reason why you're sitting on the pew today, and that's because God made a willing choice. He didn't have to call you out of darkness. He didn't have to. He could have left you out there where the rest of your family is. But he didn't do it. He called you. God saw something valuable in you. You say, oh, but look at all my failures. Look. Yeah, God knew all of that. And he still chose you. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. But more than just seeing my need, he saw my potential. He saw not what I was. He saw what I could be with his help. Are you hearing me today? I'm preaching to somebody. This is not really the direction I intended to go. In, but it seems like I keep coming back to this all morning long. I can't get away from it. God is trying to speak to somebody today. Whether you're sitting here on the pew or you're listening online. God's trying to get a message across to somebody. That you need to quit thinking so low of yourself. God thinks higher of you than you think of yourself. God loves you. God chose you. God invested in you. Now it's time you do something about it. And so, so we find out who we are, how we are, by whom we are, where we are, what we are, when. This all took place. 
But there's one more of those W's that I haven't addressed. And it's clearly addressed in this passage. Does anybody know what the missing? Why? Why? Why did God do all of this? Why did he call us out of darkness into his marvelous light? Why did he reach down to a people who were not a people and make them a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people? Why did he do it? Well, the answer is in black and white. It doesn't take any interpretation to find the answer to this question. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. What's the next word? That. The word that, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, denotes the purpose or the end. It is in order that or with the design or to the end that. God did this with a purpose. He created all of this. He brought us to this point with a purpose. He did it in order that, what? You should show forth the praises of him. The whole reason God did all of this for us is that he wants us to show his praises. All right now, some of you are not getting it. I said God brought you in not just so you could look nice, not just to, so he could get you uh, off of whatever you were addicted to, but he brought you into his kingdom because he wants you to show his praises. In fact, this phrase, ye should show forth, means to celebrate. It means to make known by praising or proclaiming. God said, I want you to make my praises known. I mentioned this in service a few weeks back, uh, but I'll say it again because it fits right here. And for the sake of those who didn't hear, I remember years ago attending church with a lady, and she was a good lady. She meant well, but she, uh, she used to, we'd, we'd, have, we'd have powerful church. People would be dancing and shouting and running and, and, and leaping and, and all the things that we apostolics do when we worship. And, and she would make this remark, well, I get my blessing watching someone else. Well, I want to just tell you. Now, we dealt with that when we dealt with uh, David's wife, Michael, looking out the window and despising him. It's the only scriptural example I find of someone watching someone else give God praise. And God was not happy about that. God did not bless Michael as she watched. The exact opposite took place. He cursed her. We dealt with that. But here's what I want to show you. In this verse of scripture, he didn't say that you would watch forth the praises. He didn't say, I want you to be a spectator while everybody else is doing it. He said, I saved you for the reason that you would show my praises. 
I'm telling you, if God has set you free, if God has delivered you, if God has filled you with the Holy Ghost, if God's ever spoken peace to a troubled situation in your life, there is an obligation you've got. God saved you for this purpose. God brought you to the kingdom for this purpose. You ought to be showing everybody, I'm going to give God praise. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm in the church. This is why I'm saved today. He brought me here to praise him. Listen, listen, listen. That's the reason why when the Pharisees cried out to him on Palm Sunday, tell these people to shut their mouths. They're too noisy. He said, no, no, no. If these shut their mouths, praise is going to go up from somewhere. If these will not praise me, I'm going to see to it that there comes praise from somewhere. If I've got to give the rocks a mouth, if I've got to give the mountains a mouth, if I've got to give the oceans a mouth, Somebody is going to praise me. Listen to me, child of God. You are here today because God wants you praising him. Maybe you won't run. Maybe you won't jump, but you can clap. Maybe you can at least wave your hands. Maybe you can at least stomp your foot. Maybe you can at least shout hallelujah. But God saved you for this reason. This is the why of it all. This is the purpose of it all. God wants you showing forth his praise. Come on, let's do it right now. Let's do it right now from the depths of our heart. Let's give God praise from the depths of our heart. Jesus I'm here to send Judah up I'm here to give you praise Lord you saved me you changed me you transformed me God I'm not what I used to be I may not be everything I want to be but I'm not what I used to be and you deserve praise for that God there have been times in the past you've healed my body and you deserve praise for that there have been times you've answered my prayers and you deserve praise for that oh God I'm going to lift my voice in worship and adoration to you because you're worthy of my praise. My Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, let's do it one more time. I, I feel his presence here right now. Come on. Somebody ought to just let go. You ought to quit worrying about it being Sunday morning. Just let go. Just let God do something right now. I got a bunch of pages of notes ahead of me, but I'm not worried about finishing the notes. I'll do it if I have to, but I think somebody ought to let go and praise God. You might find your walls come tumbling down the minute you let go. 
You say, what's someone going to think? It doesn't matter what somebody thinks. The question is, what does God think about it? What's God looking for? What's God wanting? I'll tell you what he's wanting. He called you out of darkness for the reason that you would show his praise. Show forth. Show forth. To celebrate. That's the way Strong's defines it. To celebrate. Amen. He brought you into his kingdom to celebrate his praise. Well, hallelujah. That's what we ought to do. It ought to be a celebration. We come into the house of God, it ought to be a celebration. I know, I know, I know, I know we've been through a lot of things in the last couple of weeks. We, we've, 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 we've been through a lot of things. Been on some deep, deep emotional rides in the last couple of weeks. The loss of loved ones and things that have taken place. But I'm going to tell you in the midst of it all, God's still good. And he's still worthy of praise. In fact, when we get to heaven, what are we going to do? We're not going to be praying because we're not going to have anything to pray about. So what are we going to do? Now, Jesus said this in the Lord's Prayer. He said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If heaven is all about praise, what do you think our time on earth ought to be? Now, I want us, I want us to be known as a Bible church. I want us to be known as a word church. I want us to be known as a praying church. I want us to be known as a loving church. But I also want us to be known as a worshiping church. I want people to know, man, you go to church there, you're going to have high church. You're not just going to go there and sit, but you're going to walk in there and feel something moving. You're going to feel something stirring when you get in there. Those people that got their minds made up, we're going to praise the Lord. We're going to give God some, oh, hallelujah. We're going to give God some glory. I feel like praising, praising him. I feel like praising, praising him. He's been good to me. 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 You don't have to convince me, my friend. I know how good God is. I've watched him, amen, for 62 years. Keep his hand on my life. I know how, God, how good God is. He deserves my praise. In the good times, in the bad times, in the happy times, in the sad times, in the well times, in the sick times, in the rich times, in the poor times. He deserves my praise. Yeah. 
That's why he saved me is so I'd give him some praise. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, I know, I know. Especially when I was a lot younger, I'd get to preaching like this. and Some of the older folks among us would come to me and say, I just can't do it like that. I, I know that's what you want out of us, but I, no, no, I understand. I understand that. I really do. I'm understanding it more and more with each day that passes. With every sunrise, I understand more. Hallelujah, I promise you. I'm getting to that point. I understand it. Praise God. Amen. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you can praise him somehow. You may not have the strength to do it like the young ones, but you can praise him somehow. But I am going to tell you young people something. You better praise him while you've got the strength and the energy. I watched some of you guys get out here on the ball court and you pour everything you've got into trying to get a ball through a hoop. You're covered in sweat, but you come into the house of God and then stand here like a... I'm trying to be nice today. Like a wooden Indian. How, how is it that putting that ball through the hoop means more to you than lifting your hands to Jesus? How is it that trying to score a few points means more than trying to score his approval? Come on, somebody. Why is it you can pour all your energy and you don't quit till the game is over? I don't care how tired you are. I don't care how much sweat's pouring off of you. You don't stop till the game is over. It's not two minutes and somebody's got to push you. Get in there and play. Two minutes, somebody's got to push you. Get in there and play. No! You're in there giving it everything you've got until the end. You ought to be that way about Jesus. You ought to walk in here with your mind made up. Now, now, at Brother Weems' home going service, I handed out some towels. But, but I, I want to say, and I don't think I've ever, I don't, I don't think I've said this publicly. Maybe I have, but Brother Weems is not the first person I ever saw that carried a towel to church. And uh, many, many years ago, I was preaching in, uh, uh, in Ohio, of all places, and uh, there was a man there that carried a hand towel with him to church. He didn't carry a handkerchief, he carried a hand towel. And in fact, he made it a point that whenever a preacher would come preach for them, whatever he preached the first night that he was there, that man would go and, and have a towel embroidered with the title of that message on a hand towel, and then he'd present it to the preacher when that revival was over. And uh, it had the title of the message, and then it had shouting towel on it. And that's the way this guy looked at it. That was his shouting towel. And I'm telling you, that guy shouted. Now, that guy got with it. He poured everything he had into it. And he, that hand towel wasn't even enough to mop up all the sweat. That guy was putting out. And, and, and the amazing thing, he had to go to the doctor one day. And the doctor's giving him an exam, a physical. And he said, man, he said, you work out? The guy said, no. 
He starts asking him questions. You run. You, the guy said, he said, well, how? He said, you are, you are in perfect health. No fat. It's just lean muscle. He said, how, how are you doing that if you're not? And the guy said, church. <laughs> well. <clears throat> Some of us. You want a good diet plan? We got a running track right here. Well, we got a running track right here. Now I'm gonna tell you a few years back things got so crazy I had to start giving signals. We you remember this? I had set directions. Because we had people running into each other. So I said, look, we're all going to run this way. I don't know if that's clockwise or counterclockwise from where you're sitting, but we're all going to run this way. So nobody's going the other direction. We're all going to go the same direction so we don't have head-on collisions here. And I said, said, said you ladies, if you, if you, you want to run and you don't feel like you can make the whole lap, then, then you can cut through the center aisle and kind of cut half that off and, 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 and you don't have to try to outrun these guys or you can get out of their path a little quicker. Some of them, that, these young ones especially, that are overly energetic, or at least used to be. I want them to get that way again. When it comes to worshiping God, I'm going to tell you, it's the way it ought to be. We really ought to get to a place that that towel's not just a symbol. It's a necessity. Now, again, the older you get, the harder that is. I'm asking some of you young guys to take this on as a project. I need that towel. Because this handkerchief, now I have, I've, I've preached until my handkerchief just wasn't enough and the whole thing was just dripping. And all I was doing was wiping water on water. It wasn't soaking up anything. Well, I think we ought to get to the point we're worshiping to where handkerchiefs just don't do the job. Is anybody with me? I'm talking about sending up Judah. I'm talking about sending Judah first. I'm talking about getting to the place that we understand. That's why we're in the kingdom of God. That's why we're in the church of the living God. We've got a purpose. We've got a purpose. Now look, he did say go ye into all the world. He did tell us. He gave us a commission to go out there and reach them. And we need to do that. When we walk out these doors, we ought to be doing everything we can to reach everybody we can. But when we come here, we ought to be reaching him. We ought to be doing everything we can to touch Jesus. It's not always easy. Just ask the woman with the issue of blood. There was a whole multitude that was trying to keep her away from Jesus. But she said, I'm going to do it somehow. And in her weakened form, she made her way through the crowd until she could reach out and get a hold of the hem of his garment. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody here today. It's time that you send Judah first. It's time for you to make up your mind. Yes, I got a lot of things plaguing my mind. I got a lot of thoughts that are trying to weigh me down. But I'm going to push through them. I'm going to force my way through them. I'm going to get through them until I touch the hem of his garment. And that story has always amazed me because the Bible says 
Bible says that Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? Now we just read that and think, okay, who touched me? But you've got to understand, the, the Bible also says the multitude was thronging him. That means there were a lot of people touching him. There were a lot of people bumping up against him. A lot of people brushing against him. He was being touched on every side. And that's why when he said that, the disciples said, Lord, the multitude throngs thee. And yet you're asking, who touched me? And Jesus said, yeah, somebody touched me. Because virtue went out of him. Now, you know what that says? There was a whole multitude that was touching Jesus. Now, there's a whole crowd. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. You guys on the front, get over here, get over here. Why don't you surround him? Get around him, get around him. For just a few minutes, we're really going to use our imagination. You're going to be Jesus. <laughs> Quite the imagination. <laughs> At least I didn't make you Peter and say, get behind me, Satan, right? <laughs> Now, I want you to get up against him. You guys are not up against him. This is, there was a crowd that was thronging him. Hey, that means the multitude. Yeah, this is close quarters. Isn't it? Are we invading your space yet? Yes, sir. They were invading his space. Are you hearing me? The, everybody's touching him, right? Everybody's touching him. And yet Jesus stopped and he said, who touched me? And the disciples are looking. Well, let's see, him and him and him and him. She said, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me. This wasn't like every other touch. Others were touching, but not like this woman was. This woman touched with a purpose. This woman touched with faith. This woman believed that when I touch him, something's going to take place. Thank you. And I'm going to tell you, that's exactly what goes on in a service. You've got some people that come in and the Holy Ghost starts moving and yeah, they're touching him. Are you hearing me? His presence is here and they're touching him. But they still go home with their problems and their burdens and their cares and their worries and their sicknesses. Oh, they're touching him. But every once in a while, somebody comes into a service and they say, no, no, no. I'm going to touch him. I got a reason. I've got a purpose. I came in here loaded down with cares and worries. I got a lot of things I'm facing tomorrow. I got a lot of problems I got to deal with. I got to touch the master somehow. I got to get through all of this other stuff. And I wonder how many times, I wonder even today, while some of you were on your feet, if the Lord might have looked around heaven and said, hey, 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 who touched me? And the angel said, Lord, there's several people. There's a dozen or so on their feet right now. No, 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 no. Somebody down there really meant what they were doing. Somebody down there had faith in their heart. Somebody down there had a purpose behind their prey. That 
that wasn't just a common touch. I felt virtue go. I feel it right now. I feel virtue in this house right now. I feel healing in this house right now. Yeah, I feel deliverance in this house. I feel victory in this house. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm not going to try to go any farther today. I got so much in my notes, and if I get started on the next section, we'll be here till this time next Sunday. Hallelujah. Some of you will get tired of touching by that point. Praise God. Amen. But I am telling you, I'm telling you today, I'm telling you there's something about it when we lift our hands with a purpose. We're not just going through the motions. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. But when you reach out in desperation and you got a purpose and you understand, Lord, I'm here. I want to really touch you with my praise. I want you to notice my praise. Everybody else is a lot closer in, in, in your circumference there. They're a lot closer to, to where you are right now. Lord, I know I'm out here on the perimeter somewhere, but Lord, I'm going to do my best to push through. I wonder how many others there had a sickness that day. I wonder how many others in that crowd had a disease that day. And the Bible does not record one of them being healed. Though they all touched him, not one of them got healed. But that woman did. In fact, it's an interesting statement he makes, and I'm, I'm trying to close, but interesting statement that he makes when he says, I perceive, uh, or the Bible says, he perceived that virtue had gone out of him. It was already a done deal before the man Christ Jesus realized it had happened. Her faith was so powerful, it pulled it out of him. Well, I don't know if God will heal me or not. I don't know if God will touch me or not. I don't know if God will bless me or not. That was not her attitude. She said, I know. I know. If I touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. I know. I know it's going to happen. And I'm telling you, the man Christ Jesus didn't have time to decide, am I going to do it or not? That touch of faith brought it out of him. And I'm saying to you, you can sit there and wonder, is God going to do it for me? Am I worthy? Am I good enough? Am I this? Am I that? Will God? Will God? Will God? Or you can reach out in faith and it'll just happen. I got to get off this, but you do understand that because of the sickness this woman had, she was, she was considered to the Jews as unclean. She was unclean. 
she was not allowed to touch others and others were not allowed to touch her. But she didn't care about any of that. If ever there was a person unworthy of that healing touch, she was. Because the law declared her unclean. But it didn't matter. She reached out in faith and her faith drew the answer and so you can sit here and let the devil tell you I'm not worthy I'm not good enough I'm not this I'm not that and listen it goes through everybody's mind at some point I'm talking to people who have been living for God for years you, you go to get prayed for and what's the first thing you think I don't know if God would do it for me remember that time over there where I slipped up and Why would God do that for me? Well, why would he do it for the woman with the issue of blood? You want to know the answer? He did it because of her faith. Not because she was worthy. Not because she was good enough. Not because she deserved it. But because she had faith. Syrophoenician woman. A Gentile. Oh, hallelujah. Disciples try to send her away. Jesus ignored her at first and then called her a dog. And she said, well, you're right, Lord, I am. Exactly right. But you know something about those dogs? When it's supper time, they come find a place right around the table hoping that there's some crumbs that fall off the plate. And I'm not asking you to give me the children's bread. I'm just looking for those crumbs that they don't want. If there was a woman that did not deserve an answer, it was that woman. But she got it. And you know why she got it? Not because she deserved it. And not because she was worthy. But Jesus said, I've not seen this great of faith even in Israel. I hadn't seen the Jews have this kind of faith. She got her answer because her faith rose to the occasion. And so I'm telling you today, whatever you need from God, send Judah first. Start out praising God. Not because you're worthy, but because He is worthy. He's the one that deserves the praise. So give Him praise first. And see what happens. You'll be surprised at how many of your needs will be met. Again, it's not based on who's worthy. Except that He, He is worthy. And all he wants is for you to believe that. Believe that he's worthy. Believe that he's able. Believe that he's willing. And you can have whatever you need today. You need healing. He can heal your body. You need deliverance. He can set you free. You need the Holy Ghost. He can fill you today. 
He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. That's how powerful this God is. He's just waiting on somebody to send Judah first. Why don't we do that right now? Let's everybody lift our hands. Let's stand together. Let's lift our hands. something from God these altars are open right now why don't you come and press your way into his presence I'm going to push past all the negative thoughts I'm going to push past all the doubts I'm going to push past all the fears I'm going to fight through my unbelief today and I'm going to reach out in faith I'm going to give God some praise because he deserves that praise